This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Travel is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. You are invited to a special Mouth Media Live audience event of Travel is Your Business for an in-depth discussion about the state of travel, the explosion of travel technology, and the future of the industry from the perspective of investors in the travel space. It's venture capital in travel. And this live audience podcast recording experience is sponsored by Notel. And it's all going down on August 1st from 6 to 8.30 p.m. at Experience by Notel, 666 Broadway in New York City. Want to be there? Tickets are free, but you must RSVP by clicking the event on the homepage of travelisyourbusiness.com. That's August 1st at 6 p.m. and register at travelisyourbusiness.com. See you there. Hi, I'm Ned Hornerford, Director of Business Development at Romeo Power. And what I love about travel is getting lost. I'm, I'm all about the misadventure where you have a plan that's loose, you set out somewhere, and you know that there's going to be some bumps in the road and you see where it takes you. Electrification, an old idea buried by the automotive industry decades ago. The Prius, Tesla, the future of power. These cars and many others are forging a new path for cleaner and renewable energy. At the heart of it all are the manufacturers of the battery that's running these new automotive machines. Where else can we expect to see the lithium-ion battery? Trains, planes, and so much more than just automobiles. This is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry. Ned, what role does electric power play in the future of transportation? It it is the future of transportation. I don't mean to sound sort of overly cavalier about that, but I've spent my whole professional career thinking about energy and how that is used for transportation. My first company was when I was still in college. Um, It was a biofuel startup. And how dumb that seems now. Like nobody's (laughs) looking at that anymore. So... Um, it's, it seems to be one of these things where it's just in the last five years has become completely inevitable that electrification is going to take over every format of travel. I arrived here on one of those electric scooters that I bought on Amazon. (laughs) There are airplanes now that are being electric literally five years ago. People did not think that was realistic. So, um, I think that batteries, the technology is going to increase to a point where it doesn't make sense to run any vehicle, maybe except a rocket, without batteries. So why is it that a rocket's that limit? And do you think there's another technology that we're that is just around the corner that's going to make you know electric power look like biofuel? It's a really yeah, it's a good one. So um, I want to address the rocket part of that first because <laughs> you know when people talk about Tesla in some ways. They they're like, okay, Elon Musk, he's doing this this electric vehicle company and then he's doing this space company like where like where do you find an intersection between those two Mm. and and what people have sort of hypothesized i don't think this has actually come out of his mouth but i wouldn't say that electrification even needs to stop with rockets and um when you look at at travel in the stratosphere if you go sort of way up into the outer reaches of of our atmosphere you don't actually have enough oxygen to really run a combustion engine very well 
Um, so if batteries and electric motors can can get good enough, you can essentially go straight up to the point where there's no resistance, take an electric motor and get from New York to LA through the stratosphere incredibly quickly. So there's sort of this blurring of like where you're in space, where you're flying through the air. Um, so I, I really see no limit to it. And as far as technologies that would sort of make today's batteries look obsolete, I think there's no question that's going to happen too. Mm-hmm. My hope, and maybe I'll probably sound naive in 10 years, is that it's going to be the next generation of batteries that do this, whether that's solid state batteries or lithium air batteries are big, you know, from a, a weight standpoint are really sort of the, the next generation there. So um, I think that that batteries are the future and it's just a matter of how we make them and how we store that energy. Cool. So we know like we didn't go from a horse and buggy to a Tesla, right? <laughs> there is a big leap that needs to happen for this electrification to overtake the way that people travel. What do you think is first hmm, besides the scu- scooter that you took here this morning? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, I think it has to be the automobile. And I love how you mentioned the example of uh, a horse and buggy to now, because if you go back to the horse and buggy era, when cars were first called a horseless carriage, um, they, they they had that same question and same decision-making path. Like, are we going to pump all this oil out of the ground or are we going to use batteries, which are already in existence and capture electricity? You know, the, the electrical grid was a new thing at that point. It was very exciting. And I was actually nerding out on a, a Nova show called The Search for the Super Battery the other day. And Jay Leno takes this Nova host around in this thing that literally looks like a buggy with no horse in front of it. And it has a little battery pack in the front and they like take it out on the streets of LA. So back to the the substance of the question, it has to be automobiles because they're able to be produced at a scale that's going to bring the cost of batteries down to make it available for everything else too. Like that's really what's driving the volume that's going to be able to to drive the cost reductions necessary for total electrification. And it goes even beyond transportation. It touches the grid, it touches every piece of our lives. So crazy to think about yeah. if one decision had been made differently how you know <laughs> everything right? would have been yeah. so different yeah. with just you know uh there's no way they could have known the impact of um on the mm-hmm. environment from and then, that yeah. you know that one manufacturing decision and yeah. so so it's few crazy. people at the end of the day i mean you could probably fit them in one room if not count them on one hand the number of people who really influenced that decision to go for combustion engines so, yeah, so how is how does Romeo play into this? Like the um, how are they part of the conversation towards the electrification of all vehicles? So Romeo Power is incredibly unique as uh, as a technology company in today's world in that we are a pure play battery manufacturer based in the United States, making the highest quality lithium ion battery packs in the world. And you know, assuming that most of our listeners are in the travel profession and are not technology nerds knowing the details of batteries, you essentially have a few major players in Asia producing shells that look sort of like a shotgun shell, uh, cells, excuse me. You, I'll start over here. You have a few major players making cells, and then um, there's a number of different automakers and um, and 
companies in Asia that will package those cells into modules and then packs. And those are what are required in order to use these in electric vehicles. So Tesla has been considered the market leader making the most energy dense batteries in the world. We make better batteries than Tesla. And we know because we design them both. So that that is um, that is really our secret sauce is how we can pack so many of these lithium ion cells into the smallest footprint possible and manage to keep this whole thing running safely, smoothly and with high performance. And a lot of, I guess, you know, the last piece of it is, is really having that level of control over how you're using the energy too. So, you know, essentially if you think about a battery as a bomb, you know, you're just storing a lot of energy the secret to how a battery can perform really well is all about how you can control the release of that energy. And that's done with software controls and a lot of proprietary algorithms and stuff that goes way above my, my pay grade. So <laughs> incredible. So, and excuse my ignorance on this cause it's not a, a topic that I'm an expert on. Um, can you retrofit existing say aircraft cruise ships anything to be electrified it's hard to that okay. is that the the short answer is it's really really hard to and i know this particularly well because one of the segments of our business that i focus on is the forklift industry and they have um you know battery packs that are about the size of these chairs we're sitting in like really big chunky battery packs that sit under the seat of the forklift and they've been running off of lead acid for a couple decades now so they have an installed base of lead acid lithium is you know it charges faster it lasts longer it doesn't have to be maintained as well so um, there's there's so many reasons why the whole industry wants to switch to lithium but the actual integrations of each pack in in sort of doing this drop-in replacement is super complicated mm -hmm. and then for cars and planes what you end up doing from a design perspective is really building the the vehicle around the battery pack itself like you build it into the floor and you try to fit these battery cells and packs essentially into whatever space you can to balance out the weight and, um, and, you know, essentially have as much energy as you possibly can in, in the vehicle. So in your conversation with say like a, like a Boeing or some, some kind of manufacturer, right? Would you, um, essentially be arguing or making the argument for, uh, them to design their next model around this type of battery pack. That is, yeah, absolutely. That yeah. that is the 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 long term play with any major manufacturer of of a vehicle or aircraft is to say that look, you you guys need to think about this from day one of your design. So if this is even anywhere on your radar, if like this is on your 10 year plan, you should be starting to think about this right now because this is not like a, a clip on thing that you can just sort of swap out. Like you have to fully, fully reorganize the way you're thinking about your, your powertrain or whatever the, you know, the mode of propulsion is. Um, and, and it's, it's an interesting challenge for a three-year-old startup as well to be working with a lot of major manufacturers that do operate in these, you know, they, they think about the quarter to quarter, but when they're looking at electrification, they're really thinking five to 10 years out in a lot of cases. And, right. um, and yeah, if, if, if they're not looking at it now, they're a little behind the eight ball. Wow. So the sales cycle must be 
pretty intense, <laughs> I can imagine, because you're dealing with, uh, it sounds like, multiple different sectors, really high-level executives thinking about forecasts out 10 years. Um, how, do, how did you... How does one navigate that space? And you know, how did you how did you come along with the the Tesla contract that ended up, if that is a contract, or whether or not it was a design and then implemented separately? Or absolutely, how does that so, all play? So I should say that um, you know nobody that I'll speak about in this podcast is a direct customer okay. customer of ours, and Tesla is actually our most pure play competitor out there. I see. They're probably the one company in the space that would not buy batteries from us. Um, they are, um, you know, they're doing their own thing. They like to be very vertically integrated and, you know, our, our value proposition is in providing very high quality packs, but selling them to everybody and having conversations about customization and really being flexible and nimble to whatever these manufacturers who are starting to think about batteries do. So as far as the sales cycle goes, you know, we work with a number of startups that can move pretty quickly and that's refreshing. Mm -hmm. And typically like they're, they they know that electrification is where they want to be and they kind of know what they're looking for here. We educate them on the details, but they're sold on lithium, they're sold on electrification. With the larger players, the the real secret is just understanding how serious they are about this. You know, mm -hmm. it's such a topic in the news now, largely thanks to Tesla and and others that I feel like there's a lot of companies that you know, if they're not having conversations about this, they, they know they're behind the eight ball, but at the same time, they're not willing to go all in yet. And, you know, massive companies with multiple departments that are sort of, you know, crossing signals, it, it, that's the biggest challenge in terms of navigating with, through these large companies. It's like, who's really serious? Who's your internal champion? And who's going to get some initial projects going before you're talking about a volume of, you know, thousands of units of whatever so mm -hmm. you mentioned economies of scale earlier of course, um yeah and you know how we would make this type of battery more accessible and and kind of widespread um so how how does that play with with a pilot if you're trying to do a proof of concept with i would say boeing again mm -hmm. you know there they'd have to design it with the intention i assume of bringing it to a fleet that mm -hmm. they would then sell to the airlines. So what, um, how do you end up getting a proof of concept on a design that they, I assume already hopefully have a buyer for? Mm. Absolutely. So, um, I would say that in a lot of cases they they may not necessarily have a buyer for a lot of these things yet, mm -hmm. but they know that the same people who are buying combustion engine based vehicles from them now will eventually be moving to electrification. So it's really about having that knowledge to say this can be done. And it's amazing how much of the proof of concepts that we're able to develop for them are purely done through software and modeling. Like uh, that was probably the thing that blew me away the most is how much certainty our engineers can have about what we're building before they've ever assembled a pack. Like by the time we get to our assembly line and we do all of our own manufacturing of the packs as well, we, we know exactly what that's going to do. We've run through so many scenarios, you know, we're doing like some test track stuff now. And like, I, I sort of naively thought that was step one or two, but really that's step 10. And it's just to make sure everything checks out with the computer models, but it's, it's still, you know, it's, it's expensive to do anything with hardware, let alone send up a whole line and building custom modules is 
it's no small feat. So it's really all about having very sophisticated modeling ahead of time. And then you, you'll have a good sense of what will work. Interesting. And so, you know, there's a lot of different applications for this. Where do you, you mentioned forklifts as a, as like a the potential lowest line. hanging fruit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the hit list for something like this? You know, is it, where's the, the most accessible kind of obvious besides the forklift one, you know, what's the, where should we expect this in, in the next five years? So, so if forklifts are now and, um, and, uh, automobiles are tomorrow, I'd like to think that looking in the next five years, we're going to be starting to look at larger, um, larger formats. So um, marine is one sector that I'm mm. really jazzed about. Like marine is something where it's at a super early stage, but I think the benefits to having really high quality lithium batteries for marine applications is going to totally change the cruising industry and short haul transportation, ferries, all of, all of the above. I think that that's an area that, you know, it, I'm probably being optimistic that might be more on the 10 year plan. Um, but then, and then coming after that, I think the airline industry is going to probably see the most, I think they're going to see probably the most dramatic change on the 10 to 15 year time horizon, as far as what electrification does in terms of cost and access to smaller cities, short haul destinations that we wouldn't even think we could fly to, or for some reason you think it should only cost a thousand bucks a seat. I think that is, I mean, Zunumero is a a company that I know best. Shout out to the JTV portfolio company, Zunumero. They're incredible. Really incredible. And I think things in, in that space are happening really quickly too. And arrow, I would, I wanted to ask, I would bring in that timeline a little bit because I think what's interesting is like in, in the airline space, you're seeing so much buzz around VTOL with like that. And that's vertical takeoff and landing, um, with Uber elevate and, all there's just like a huge huge variety of of companies trying to solve for that but it's kind of a walk before you can run where yes the VTOL space is really exciting and seems very transformative but I think yeah flying cars the time is now um but I think on the path there I think walk before you can run electric is first um and and I think people are starting to be much more open to it, especially as Ned was saying, with regional transportation, there's just the need there is so great that I think it's also going to push the regulation forward with our friends at the FAA. That's so interesting. I w- I've been thinking a lot about, you know, I was I was having a discussion with a friend of mine around uh, dri- you know, driverless vehicles mm-hmm. and how uncomfortable he really felt around that topic. Um and it was interesting to me that there's so many different people that would feel really uncomfortable about mm-hmm. a driverless car. And I started talking about flying cars. And he was like, I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I wonder, um, you know, whether or not the, the technology will power the consumer behavior or if, mm. you know, the consumer adoption for this type of technology will um, will really impact whether or not regulation has any impact on it does that make sense you know it's like will it catch up with as fast as we can do a flying car because i'm super jazzed about that idea i think there's a lot to do with it but um you know will people 
really know how to handle it. So I, I think that it, we hopefully will eventually find out that if you can master the roads and if you can master all the things that will come your way on the ground, there's actually a lot less for a car to run into in the air than there is on the ground. You know, from <laughs> yeah. like, is that is that fair yes, to say? Yes, that and is absolutely right. You'll, you'll see that I'm a complete <laughs> optimist. And I'm like, I could look out that window and see a flying car take off of a skyscraper right now. So like, I'm, <laughs> I'm into it, man. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm out there on that front, but... Um, but there's, you get above the trees, you got some birds and a few other cars. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if I, I do honestly yeah. think that autonomous vehicles will, will start to see them on the streets well before we see them in the air. Yeah. But, um, but I would trust a computer to fly me through the air before I would trust most people. I agree with that. Really? I definitely agree with that. 100%. Yeah. 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 Cause you can control the routes and then thus avoid things like birds and you know you can get full like fifth element on this you know exactly. taxis pulling up with my food in it and stuff it's gonna be great mm, yes, <laughs> yes and no yeah as a self-identifying optimist Ned, i appreciate that because there is a lot that you can't program into an ai mm. like all you know think think about um in autonomy in the in the mobility space if there's someone kids who just run across the road um to try and make the vehicle stop just to kind of play with it right and and the vehicle is meant to stop when something runs in front of it to avoid um hitting someone but then a bunch of teenagers are like this is so funny. How about we just run in front of the car and like make it stop and just be a pest? Yeah, th- you th- can't design for that. Or think you about can, the traffic implications yeah. when pedestrians have the coded right of way at all times. Like if you know that you could run out in front of a car doing 10 miles an hour and it will stop for you. Who's to say, you know, like jaywalking yeah. is like, I mean... New Yorkers would be like pumped. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you would really like, you know, if people think that autonomous vehicles are going to do wonders to relieve traffic congestion, you have to take something like that into account where whenever you have cars and people and you have to program it so people don't get killed, people are going to win when it comes to the, you know, the crossing of the street. That's going to be like this, you know. I, I notice I, I'm a bike rider and now I have my electric scooter and like and pedestrians do not have this give the same heed to a bicycle or a scooter as they do to a car they'll walk into a bike lane without even thinking about it Mm -hmm. even if it is a little dangerous because they don't have that perception of like a car is going to run me over and flatten me and right the instinct isn't there yet the instinct is absolutely not there Mm -hmm. and i think we're unwinding from that instinct of like back out of traffic like pedestrians are taken over, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the electric scooter, you also brought us something when you were riding over this this of morning. Course. So, what is it that you have here? So, I I was was able to make it all the way over to Union Square to Bread's Bakery and then back west in about ten minutes. And um, I brought you some delicious New York bakery treats. When, <sighs> when I would I, let's carbo load this morning. It's Friday, and <laughs> it's, <laughs> so. Yeah, I brought you some uh, a, a variety of croissant. I went for a savory, a smoked <laughs> cheddar croissant. I went for a sweet, a pain au chocolat, and then a classic. Oh my god, um, classic croissant as well. So going for that smoked cheddar. Let's there get into go. it, guys. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Coming up, you'll hear how regulation plays into this industry and how there's an opportunity in the market in Norway, along with safety precautions and how early stage founders can get involved with Romeo Power. Hey, everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mount Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at travelisyourbusiness.com. Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to mouthmedianetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at travelbizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. So I know that was a lot of, you know, future talk of where battery-powered aviation is going and autonomy. Um, and I don't want to be a downer, but <laughs> regulation is real, right? <laughs> you know, um, and that is the key to making these dreams a reality. So kind of tell me a little bit about where you guys see that, if you even try to influence regulation as a, as a brand. Yeah, so that's it's it's a really sticky wicket the whole uh, the whole regulation piece of things. That's um, definitely not our area of expertise, but our ears are wide open to the market on, you know, really I would say that the first level of the regulation is what's already in place for product certification. So the you know the biggest hurdle for so many hardware technology startups to overcome is the UL certification, and they they really run you through the ringer and we should all be thankful as consumers and passengers that they do so. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of concern about batteries today, but there are certification companies out there that do a fantastic job, stress testing, destructive testing, every bit of testing you can imagine is done to a battery pack before it goes into any sort of vehicle. Um, so there's sort of, that's like the, I'd say, you know, needing to have all of the, the certifications as you work up the, let's say, as you get from a scooter up to an airplane, you see more and more layers of certification that you have to meet. Um, and, you know, working with big airline manufacturers, they are at the pinnacle of that. Safety is their top priority. It's really a top priority for everybody in the industry. But, yeah. um, you know, so that is sort of the the stick side of regulation, if you will, you know, just making sure that anyone making batteries is up to a certain standard. Um, the other side of it, though, which is is more exciting, and I think we're still in relatively more early days, mm -hmm. is the carrot side of regulation and the incentives and policies. You know, in the airline industry, they, they have an incredible carbon footprint. I don't think this is news to any of our listeners. Um, and, you know, I think that, that someone like the FAA 
doesn't want to be on the bleeding edge of of saying let's let's make everything electric now like they're happy to move very slowly with this and have it be driven by consumer demand and airlines and really by by market opportunities as well um but i think once they understand that the it the technical feasibility there, the cost advantage is there, the consumer demand is there, they're going to start to see that, you know, there's environmental regulations that will drive far more of the industry over to that side. And I think noise regulation is another one in the airline industry yeah, as well. You know, forget about the carbon footprint for a second. I mean, you, could, you know, you can fly into so many smaller airports with noise restrictions if you're coasting in on batteries as opposed to big jet engines. I mean, no one likes jet engines over their house. So Yeah, 100%. I mean, I even look at um, from the airline side, what we dealt with with Long Beach Airport and we were trying to fly internationally out of Long Beach, and which would have been hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, wow. and it would be our West Coast hub. Um, and it was shot down just because of the noise complaints of the the fancy Orange County people who didn't want um, plane traffic at certain hours. So uh, the community really has a voice when and a lot of power when it comes to that sort of thing. And even like construction at airports people will be complaining about that in the community <laughs> and then you look at companies like boom mm-hmm. it, i i wonder um how that regulation will get passed to to allow that level of noise yeah the, the, i guess that would be the hard to imagine electrification coming to supersonic air travel but and I, I know it's the lovely <laughs> topic of this podcast but do we think supersonic air travel is going to come back like it's funny that that was like a high watermark that we hit and we're not there anymore i don't know when yeah it's a good question i mean <laughs> i think i think it'll, there's enough factors that no one's really going to be able to know at this point right mm-hmm. like for instance say that you guys lobbied um with airlines and uh put petitions together in consumer uh, on the end so the on behalf of the consumers uh, and really took that to the FAA and and made an argument for sales to the major manufacturers that would be probably a leg up towards working towards electrification as a solution as opposed to um, probably the other side of that regulation which is the, the noise that boom really is going to create so uh, it's in many ways you're, you're kind of Exactly. Maybe a little bit more well positioned. Super well positioned. To meet the needs of everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. Imagine, and and I love seeing things that are market driven, but imagine if they say, you know, even if they make it about noise and has nothing to do with emissions, they say, you know, you can only fly into certain airports if you're electric. That's, you know, that, that Mm. one, one policy shift like that would, would, you know, like totally transform the industry. Yeah. You know, that's actually the airline industry is very far from that. But, you know, going back to the marine sector for a moment, that is often running there and in a really, really powerful way up in Norway. You've got to give them a lot of credit, even as sort of a petro economy. They're very progressive about electric vehicles and they also value the environment and their tourism incredibly highly. Um, so just recently, I think it was this spring, they announced that. All, all the cruise ships and ferries in their fjords have to be fully electric by 2026. Wow. And that is, a, awesome. that is a wholesale change. I think there are 
maybe two fully electric ferries that exist in the world today, and they're both in Norway. Um, and there are hundreds of ferries in the Norwegian fjords, and I can't even imagine how many cruise ships make a massive portion of their business purely based off of the routes that they have around these fjords as well. And, you know, from these development timelines, 2026 is just around the corner for them. I mean, people like the few people who are equipped to do this now are in a, in a very wonderful position, uh, bells of the ball, and all of the major ferry operators and cruise operators now basically have to scramble in order to meet this so they don't go out of business in eight years. This mm -hmm. is, is going to be really exciting stuff. Um, yeah, it's like... You know, the, the other thing that, that blows my mind, too, is that it doesn't the, the regulation is going to is, is what has seeded that. But these two ferries that are operational have obviously cut their emissions. I think it's by 95 percent. They've also cut their costs by 80 percent. Holy like shit. 80 percent. 80 percent of <laughs> their operating wild. costs have been cut. That's so interesting that if you make something economically viable enough, you can innovate in an industry like cruise where, you know, as a travel investor, it is just something we're dying to see innovation in. And mm -hmm. it, there's just not that much out there. Um, people don't except even, for this, apparently. People don't even know <laughs> what, what a fully electric cruise ship would look like at this point. I mean, right. all they know is that it would need a hell of a lot of batteries, which is very exciting for us. But <laughs> we're, we're literally talking... Um, megawatts of batteries like you know this is a sort of amount that could power a, a, a town hmm. um, and again if you think about what a cruise ship is not only from powering all of the lights i mean the, the battery industry has been around the marine industry from a power electronic standpoint for a long time but it's it's a it's a big step forward for them to be running the entire boat itself off of off of batteries too so it's wild super excited there even if you think into the, um, you know, the, the, the consumer realm and people buying, you know, day cruisers or, you know, little um, little boats to zip around in, uh, think about the noise of the engine and how you uh, think about the, the not just the emissions from the, the combustion itself, but the leak of oil yeah. and fluids in the water. You know, the, like there has also been a very niche electric boating industry for protected regions so you have um you know you have national parks where you can only use little five horsepower electric motors and things like that as well but i think this is going to be a huge area cool. very interesting if it's a if the battery was that big and and it powers a town you can imagine you mentioned it before um a battery is a bomb so how do you look at battery safety especially at that magnitude how do you make sure that 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 what is an amazing cost savings and you know uh, saves on so many emissions uh, uh, on the other side of that where you know a giant cruise ship could conceivably absolutely explode absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i was like trying to skirt around how to yeah. say that <laughs> it's, it's um i mean yeah you battery fires are absolutely no joke it's such an important question safety is the the leading conversation we have with anybody who's new to electrification mm. and that is also one of our key differentiators at romeo power is our level of confidence that we have in in our ability to control these batteries we you know we've designed our own management systems for the batteries that sort of operate like the motherboard or the operating system for it 
So if you have all these cells that are, are storing energy, the, essentially the technology has gotten to a point where if, if you were building batteries the right way and you're not cutting costs, you can be sure that they will never explode. And that's part of the UL certification too. Like they, they stress test these to the point, but there's, there's an industry term called single cell fault tolerance. And that essentially means that if any issue happens with one individual cell, that fire or overheating will not spread to the other cells around it. Essentially, there's cooling systems in batteries that are able to isolate any incident and keep a chain reaction from setting off, which would lead to these YouTube videos that you see. Um, so, and, and also it, it has to do with the construction of the packs. I think lithium ion batteries have a pretty bad name in the world from a safety perspective because of YouTube and because of Samsung phones exploding in people's pockets. Yeah, that and, good. you know, <laughs> and so there's, there's different form factors for lithium ion cells, which most people don't understand. But if I was explaining that all of our batteries are made with cylindrical cells, um, you know, that would look more like a double A, except they're wrapped in an aluminum casing. Um, the, uh, the cell phone batteries that we have are simply sealed in a pouch that's easily uh, puncturable. And it's when you puncture a battery that you start to have issues. You essentially short circuit the battery at that point, and the electrolyte is flammable and it ignites. So you only really have issues if you puncture a cell. And to think about a, a situation in which you're able to puncture a, you know, a, a thick aluminum casing around a cell, we've, we've gotten to a pretty sophisticated point within the industry. And we make absolutely sure we are on the, the bleeding edge of all of the safety innovations that are happening out there. Wow. Well, speaking of innovation... Because, you know, Samsung's innovation with these phones. But there's a lot of people who are who are looking to innovate in the space and founders of startup companies. Um, you know, we've talked about more the, the enterprise and the industry getting involved with this. But how does founders really get involved with Romeo Power? And, um, you know, if they're trying to create something kind of ahead of the curve. We love working with startups. Mm. It is, I, I, I think I've referenced this before. I'll say it again. They're... they're such wonderful customers for us because we're a startup ourselves. They understand what it means to move quickly. They understand the what what it takes to innovate in this space, and they're also far they're they're far more open than anybody else we work with in terms of starting from a blank slate and mm. and saying you know I have a product that requires power or energy or a lot of both and it is important for me to build my entire product, vehicle, service, whatever layer they are building, they put the battery right at the core of it. So mm. it's it's so much fun to be starting with, you know, very early stage companies that are working on their first prototypes. And, you know, quite frankly, if they're past their first few prototypes and then they come to us to look at battery integrations, there's a decent chance they'll have to go back to the drawing board in order to really hit the power and energy specs that they need. So the earlier we can start a conversation around lithium battery integrations, the better. And there are so many cool companies doing stuff like this. I mean, particularly with autonomy, I could go on all day with the number of different autonomous vehicle startups, some for passengers, others that are sort of more like ground mounted drones. It's just 
what we hear about in the news is just a fraction of the innovation going on. And it's not just in Silicon Valley, it's in San Antonio and all over the, all over the world, really. It's super exciting. Coming up, you'll hear Off the Beaten Path with Ned. Welcome to the All Possibilities podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career, an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation, the science behind them, and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. Ned, can you tell me when you felt the most off the beaten path? Oh, yeah. Um, I think that when you have a car that's broken down, and you're in a place with no cell phone service, and there's no towns that you could walk to within a day, you really start to appreciate how big the world still is. And um, I guess, you know, I'd say, so this, uh, there, I can count numerous times that I've been in this situation. I, you know, I like adventurous travel, and I, I put myself out there. But um, when I was in college, at the University of St. Andrews over in Scotland, I was invited to do a charity car rally from London to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. And this trip is really more about having the most badass route to get there. It's not about who arrives first. It's about who can take the most circuitous route through Central (laughs) Asia and still arrive in one piece with a working car. Um, and, And the working car is a really tough piece once you run out of road Uh, you know once you hit the mongolian border you don't on the western edge you don't see paved roads until you're about a hundred miles from the capital city ulaanbaatar so you have about a thousand miles which takes roughly a week to cover you can't really go faster than 20 or 30 miles an hour and you're going up over mountain passes and dodging rocks and um, and it's really make or break in so many ways that if, you know, if you're stuck there, you're waiting until the next person comes by and feels like giving you a lift. Um, so, you know, we, we had a breakdown up in the mountains of, of Western Mongolia and, um, our, we'd punctured our sump tank. We couldn't hold oil in the car anymore, which means after driving for 10 or 15 min- minutes, your engine overheats and you, you know, the car shuts down essentially and it shuts down to protect it. So you don't totally kill your engine. Um, so I remember we spent about a full day figuring out what we would have in the car that we could repair our sump tank with. It's an aluminum tank that is complicated to weld. We're in the middle of nowhere and it gets up to like 250 degrees. So (laughs) we were using soap, duct tape, 
condoms, basically <laughs> anything that you could find, we would try to, to stuff into this little hole to keep oil in our car. And we were moving along in sort of 10-minute increments for about eight hours until somebody was able to come tow us down the mountain. Um, and, yeah, that's a drive I will never forget. <laughs> that was definitely the most off-beaten path I've ever heard. <laughs> that was pretty wild. That was amazing. Yeah, that's... <laughs> good times good times um, would you ever get into a prototype electric powered vehicle whether it be an aircraft or a car I can't wait to get into a prototype <laughs> that was kind of a leading car. question uh, you, you, you know me well enough by now to, to know that I would look to you and hope that I'm going to get that text one day for an invitation to a, a vertical takeoff landing test. I will, I will be your, your crash pilot for that. As, as long as the computer's driving, I'm, I'm good to go. Honestly, like there's, I'm such an optimist about the future and where this stuff is going. I, I couldn't be more excited for that. And, um, you know, I'd want to have some trust and faith in the people who are doing this. I think when we look back to the beginning of aviation, like those guys were certifiably insane. Um, but, you know, one of one of my best friends was actually on the the cutting edge of of electrification of airplanes when he worked on the solar impulse round the world journey back in was it 2011 or 2012, I think. And um and he was on the ground support crew following a solar plane going the whole way around the world with this Swiss adventurer who um, who completed a round-the-world journey going about 50 miles an hour, no autopilot, in a you know, one-man capsule with a wingspan the size of a 747. It, I was able to see this thing land at JFK. Is something I will never forget. I mean, it is wow. it is so incredible when people put themselves out there in these adventurous ways on the cutting edge of something. And, you know, I believe in taking calculated risk. I'm not suicidal, but as long as you can trust the batteries and you can trust the computer systems that are running the, the flight controls, please sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ned, thank you again for speaking with us today. Is there a final thought that you'd like to share? I think... Really what I would love to share more than anything is is just a, a fraction of my optimism about the future of travel driven by electric transportation. I just couldn't be more excited about where batteries are taking us, literally, physically, all over the world, up into space, to the bottom of the ocean. I just could not be more excited about the innovation happening around transport and what that's going to lead to for future travel. So... Yeah, it's terrific. It's cool. <laughs> awesome. And speaking of, how could somebody get in touch with you or the work that you're doing with Romeo Power? Absolutely. To like, would love to see a cold email come from any listener. Uh, my email address is ned at romeopower.com. N-E-D at romeopower.com. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again for uh, coming and hanging out with us today. So Thank fun. You all. Yeah, so for much. my co-host, Bess Chapman. Happy trails. And I'm your host, John Matson. Bon voyage. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. 
Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.